listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Indeed, welcome to the show. It's the Fret Files podcast. It's a, a show about guitar science, basically guitar maintenance, guitar tech, guitar repair, guitar building. You know, all things guitar science. Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host Melissa. This is a question and answer episode where we will respond to listener submitted emails. I will read the questions and Eric will try to answer them. I will try. We might even accidentally have a little bit of fun around here. We'll see. I don't know. We'll, we'll try. Yeah. What's on your bench? What's on my bench? What's on my what's on my mind? I'll tell you what's on my mind. Uh, okay. I am so disappointed in Goto tuners recently. <laughs> what is their problem? You know, they make, they made the best Cluson uh, tuner replicas, right? Uh-huh. You know, like a tuner that would have been on a 50s or 60s Fender. Right. The name Cluson has been bought by somebody. I don't know who owns it. It's like, I I just, I don't even know who who owns the name Cluson, but they do make tuners that say Cluson on them now, but uh, I've always preferred the Goto version. They're made in Japan. They're nice and tight. They're great tuners. I've had so many of them within the last, I don't know, six months uh, have way too much play in them. Like, they're fine for the first, you know, little while, and then they just... I don't know. They didn't used to do this. I'm disappointed. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. So should I... I haven't tried the ones that say Cluson on them. I think I'm going to try those. I don't know who's making them. I mean, I can almost guarantee you that they're not made in America, though. Fascinating. They're probably Chinese. Yeah. How do... How... What do you guys use out there? I don't know what to do anymore because... I feel like anything I do is a step backwards. Goto made the best ones. And so what I'm going to go, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to use. Anyhow, what's on my bench? I've been, uh, I'm refretting a 1965 Fender Jaguar. Wow, cool. Yeah, it's a beautiful Olympic white one with a <coughs> matching headstock. Very nice guitar. Neat. Yeah. I'm also doing a, uh, Bridge replacement and a bridge plate replacement on a Gibson LO, a 1930s Gibson LO. It's beautiful. Cool. It's like a Robert Johnson guitar. Nice. Very cool guitar. 
Uh, you hate to replace the bridge plate on those, but in this instance, the bridge plate was half gone. Oh. I know I stuck a mirror inside there and I'm and I thought, oh dear, this needs a bridge plate. <laughs> There's only about half of the bridge plate was in there, so I'm gonna make a nice bridge and a nice bridge plate. That's a fun that's a lot of fun. Taking off bridge plates is not fun. I have to say though, I I finally broke down and I ordered TJ Thompson's uh belly reducer aluminum uh, calls. Uh-huh. There's one for the bridge plate and one for the top where mm-hmm. the bridge would go. And you heat them up and they help flatten out a bellied top. But they're also excellent for removing a bridge plate because you heat it up and then you clamp it in place and it softens the glue. Cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, so I got I got... I finally broke down and ordered those from Stuart McDonald. And I have to say, they're great. Cool. Yeah. That's a neat little trick. What have you been working on in the leather shop? Uh, I just shipped out seven straps yesterday. Oh my gosh. I know. I've been crazy busy. Um, I've been working on... Oh yeah. Remember last episode I said I was going to ask my client if I could mention him? Mm-hmm. His name is T.J. Osborne of the Brothers Osborne. Mm-hmm. They're a country band, if yeah. you don't know. Anyway, he originally just ordered one strap and a pick guard, but now he's ordered two straps and pick guard, so I've started that process. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Your Instagram feed is really good, by the way. Thanks. Really. that Your leather working is pretty amazing to look at. I don't know. It's very, it's really, it's art, you know, it's very artistic. Thanks. It's very cool. That's kind of you to say. Well, it's true. Uh, That's about it for what's happening around here. We we both feel great and we've had plenty of sleep. Oh, yeah. Shall we uh, take some calls? Let's do it. I think we have some phone calls. Oh, you know, I'm not even ready for this, though. Oh, my gosh. I have (laughs) to either pause the, I guess let's pause the show and I'll see what I can do here. Okay. Oh, we'll be right back. Hold on. It'll be momentary. (laughs) Okay, looks like we have two calls. So let's take call number one. Hey, Eric, this is Mike in Chicago. Just listened to the last episode, and you had that question about the resonator guitar and setting the intonation. You mentioned that you set the intonation with the A and B strings. Uh, Did the same thing hold true for the floating wooden bridge on an archtop guitar? And if so, why do you use A and B and not the two outside E strings? I've always used the two E strings without thinking about it very much. Um, and I'm intrigued as to why the A and B strings would be better. So, uh, thanks very much. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the call. Uh, the reason I use the A and the B strings is because if you get those dialed in, then... Any other string is only one string away from being perfectly intonated, right? So if you if you use the outer E strings, if you get those perfectly in tune, then by the time you get to the middle of the bridge where the D and the G strings are, they're probably farther off than it would be if you set the A and B strings. Now, this is really splitting hairs. We're talking about a bridge that's a compromise at best. So whatever method works for you is 
fine by me, but that's how I do it, and that also holds true for uh, arch tops with floating bridges. Absolutely, the A and B, the out or the uh, the second and fifth strings. That's what I use. Thanks for the call. Hey, Eric and Melissa, this is Richard from Austin, Texas. Howdy. I recall in an episode a few months back where you guys mentioned that tuners didn't need lubrication. Well, I just noticed that one of my old tellies has grease, like, gushing out where the peg meets the gear shell. Um, I've cleaned this up with a Q-tip, but I'm curious if there's, you know, anything else that I should be doing. These are almost 70-year-old cuissons, so, you know, anything I can do to get another 70 years out of them, great. So thanks, and love what you guys do. Right on. Right on. Thanks for the call. He sent in a picture as well. Yeah, there's like black grease coming out of the side. Coming out of the sides of these tuners. I think what happened is somebody somebody filled those with grease, and now the grease is coming out the side. Because that's unusual. You don't really see that. At least I don't ever see that. It doesn't seem like that's a thing. So I think somebody, somebody filled those with grease. Um, and I don't remember saying that Tuners don't need lubrication. Sometimes they do. You know, especially open back tuners. Now, a lot of tuners are sealed, and they sealed tuners definitely don't need lubrication. Um, Clusons have the uh, a little a little oiling access hole there in the back of the shell. That's what that little hole is there for. You can just put one drop of oil in there. Are you laughing at something? What do you do? I'm what? not laughing at anything. Oh. No. For the, for the listeners at home, you might not know this. I can't see Melissa. We have a lamp there's between a, us. For some reason, there's a giant yellow lamp right in between us. And if I have to look at Melissa, I got to lean way forward and it's just not. Wow. This is a, this is a Fret Files podcast first. The table has been moved. <laughs> the table that sits between us has been moved. I can now see <laughs> Melissa. Well, this is going to change the whole show. This is going to change the whole dynamic of the whole entire show. I, I just, I heard you, I, I heard I air coming out of okay. your face, and I didn't know if it was laugh, laughter or... Air constantly uh, comes out of my face. You're just going to have to get used to it. That's good. That's good. Keep the air coming. What are we talking about right now? Tuners. Rich. Huh? His name is Rich. Oh, from Austin. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like open back tuners, I I oil those. But a sealed Grover, you can't oil that thing. Right? A right. Grover Rotomatic. Right. You don't know oh, what Oh yeah. You don't know what a Grover Rotomatic is. How this dare is weird. You? I can see you. This is weird. This the reason the lamp is between us is because you look at me while you're talking and it makes me uncomfortable. Really? No, I just made that up, but oh. I'm realizing now that it's true. I look at you all the time when we're talking. <laughs> you want me to stop looking at you when I talk? Uh, but on Clusens, you know, I, I I used to put lithium grease in them, but I don't do that anymore. I'll just put a one drop of machine oil in that in that hole in the back cover but i think somebody packed your tuners full of grease and it's coming out the sides yeah you might want to take those off and see if grease is coming out of the back of the tuner as well because if it is it's going to get down in the wood and uh that's not good so you might want to take those tuners off and make sure that there's not 
<clears throat> grease oozing out into your headstock. Yeah. Yep. What, what do you think about that advice? Yeah, that's good. It's almost like I know what I'm talking about. Yep. Uh, my computer doesn't work, but we're going to do this. Oh, yeah. Hey, Eric and Melissa. I hope you both had an excellent month of May. Mm-hmm. Eric, Eric, do you wax pot your pickups? And have you ever built a dual rail pickup Danny Gatton style? Keep up the great leather work, Melissa. All the best, Jonathan in Victoria, Canada. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, I do wax pot my pickups, absolutely. I wax pot them in a mixture of paraffin and beeswax at approximately 150 degrees Fahrenheit for just a couple minutes. I wax pot them very lightly. Cool. Yeah, very lightly. Uh, Have I ever made a dual rail Danny Gatton pickup? No, I have not. You know what's funny is this is the... Only this, I I was just introduced to Danny Gatton a few weeks ago because somebody ordered a a, a replica of one of his straps from me. Hmm. I had never heard of him before, and now another John, a John ordered it from me, and now another John is asking this question. He might be the greatest Telecaster player ever. Well, huh. let me clarify that he might be one of the best guitar players ever. He's definitely probably the best telly picker ever. Wow. Yeah. The telemaster. That's what they called him. I know. The humbler. <laughs> that's the other thing they called him. No, that's what they called him. Uh, he's He was amazing. You know, it's a shame he committed suicide, you know. Yep. But a lot of his recordings are, were just, they were recorded at a time when recording sucked. It's all like really like 80s. not that good a tone, digital, like low. Yeah, it's like not mastered very well, 80s. Like yeah. Low output 80s digital recordings. It's a shame because that guy just smoked. If you see live clips of him on YouTube, there's some. It just blow your mind. Wow. Cool. Thanks, Jonathan. I recently saw a post on Instagram about a 1952 Les Paul conversion to 1957 specs. I could Google exactly what that entails, but I'd rather hear the Dawes argue about it. Well, we won't argue about it. Love the show. SK from Oklahoma. Thanks, SK. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so that when they... When they convert an early Les Paul to the late 50s specs, what it means usually is, you know, the early Les Pauls had a goofy tailpiece that is this giant trapeze tailpiece that came way out. It's a goofy looking thing. Look up a 52 Les Paul. Gold top, Les Paul, P90s. Uh, They had this crazy long trapeze tailpiece that also served as the bridge. And if you can imagine... The intonation was not good because you couldn't really dial it in properly. And the big bar that the strings went around was really in the way. You couldn't really, you know, a lot of guitar players rest their hands on the strings as they cross the bridge. It's called palm muting. Right. Everybody knows that. It's like, I'm, why, am I, why am I explaining this? Anyhow, uh, it was not very functional. So they... They then went 
to a wraparound stop bar tailpiece and then went to a stop bar tailpiece and an ABR1 two pneumatic bridge by the time they got to 57. So, uh, what it means to convert an early 50s Les Paul to a later 50s Les Paul is A, from P90s to humbuckers, B, ditch the weird ta- the trapeze tailpiece and put an ABR and a stop bar uh, tailpiece on it. Mm-hmm. And I think it also means neck reset. Because I think the neck angle on the early Les Pauls is different than the later Les Pauls to compensate for the height of the ABR bridge. So to convert a 52 to a 57 specs, it probably had a neck reset, replaced pickups, and a bridge and tailpiece conversion. And that makes it a more valuable guitar? Yes. Or just more accessible? uh, It makes it a conversion i mean it's certain it's still a 50s les paul yeah but it's been converted here's the thing the late 50s les pauls are so insanely valuable that it makes it a more desirable guitar uh for a player okay it kind of makes the the purist in me, it hurts me a little bit. Right. Because you don't want to chop up a 52 Les Paul. But they weren't that functional. As a as a player's guitar, it's not that desirable. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it kind of makes sense. It's almost like, do you know about the Beatles Butcher cover? The yes. L- the LP. With the cover. With, yeah. Yeah. They pasted a different cover over it. Right. So there's first state, second state, and third state butcher covers. Right. So first state means it's it's the original picture of the butcher cover. Mm-hmm. Second state means it's had the the new one pasted over it. Right. And third state means the new cover has been peeled off, revealing the original picture underneath. Right. So it's kind of like that. At some point, if they convert enough 52 Les Pauls, yeah. then that's going to become even more rare to have an unmolested one. Right. It's a lot like the butcher cover. People say, if you have a second state, don't peel it, because everybody peels their second state, makes it a third state, and pretty soon it's going to be the second states that are... Right. That makes sense. ...that are rare. I don't know if that's a good analogy or not. Anyhow, that's what it entails. Thanks, SK. Hi, Eric and Alyssa. I recently wound my first set of Strat pickups, and I have a few questions. The winder I've built consists of a modified bench grinder, a counter, and a light dimmer. At Mm. the moment, the wire feed and tension are done by hand through a piece of t-shirt. Oh, yeah. I use leather. I use a little patch of leather. Oh, there you go. Yeah. The system is very rough and inconsistent, but I can add doodads, like a tensioner and wire gauge, to it as, as I go if I need. So I wound the bridge first, 8,000 turns, 42 AWG, 5.93K ohms, cold butte. He's saying, he's giving us specs yeah, here that I get probably it. don't mean anything to you. I, no, I understand it. 8,000 turns Thanks of wire. Thanks for thinking I'm stupid. 
but thanks. 8,000 turns of wire. <laughs> 42 AWJ is the size of wire. Yep. And he ended up with a 5.93 thousand ohm pickup that he says turned out beautifully. Right. I'm just here to help. You are so appreciated. I know. I'm really, uh, yeah. Next, the neck. 7,500 turns, 42 AWG, 5.5K ohms, also cold, also butte. So, so for the listeners at home, AWG is American Wire Gauge. You are bugging me so bad today. Go ahead. Please continue. At about this time, I started to think I was pretty good, but maybe a little bit more tension was in order. So I wind the middle. 7,700 turns. 42 AWG. 6.51 K ohm. Oh, it ended up hotter than he expected. Gasp. I assume the more tension stretched the wire, it gave me the higher resistance. Mm-hmm. So my question is, how will this set work out? Will the middle be hotter than the other two? Or is the number of turns the deciding factor and the resistance is only a very rough guide? Any other tips to an aspiring winder? Edit. I just put the pickups in and they sound great. Much clearer and less harsh than the Duncan SSL ones. Good, yeah. Thanks. That were in there. Interestingly, the middle one, which was wound faster with more tension, was muddier than the other two and had to be set lower to compensate. Anyway, any chance of another game of who said it? (laughs) No, that's your question? It built up to that? No, his question was, how will this set work out? Will the middle be hotter? Then he answered it. He answered his own question. It was hotter and it was muddier and I thought it would be. Yeah, you know, so there's a few variables here. One is that um, a winder like that, and over so many turns of wires, it's not always consistent. So it might be your tension, and it might also be that, uh, you know, your counter's not consistent. Yeah. Uh. Anyway, cheers from Watanobi. Watanobi? Watanobi. Watanobi, Australia. Regards, Brett. Thanks, Brett. Why Why are all the words so hard to pronounce in Australia? They're not. Not for Australians. Uh, so, yeah, the the uh, the higher resistance will, will make that a hotter and muddier pickup. So, yeah, we established that. Cool. Keep at it, dude. I'm so happy to hear that guys are building their own winders. And I know. Then, and then writing into the show. That's great. That's rad. It makes my little heart happy about it was probably about 10 years ago that you built your first one right yeah and it was made from a record player the first pickup i wound i wound it on a record player 78 rpm takes a while if you're wondering it takes a while (laughs) yeah uh thanks brett Hi, folks. You may, you may remember from some time back, I had a question about an old Harmony Vogue guitar which had been butchered by a luthier who shall remain unnamed. Mm. I am pleased to say that I eventually managed to reattach the neck by creating a dovetail tenon and doweling it onto the neck, and the guitar looks and sounds great. By the way, can I add this? Uh, the, the luthier who shall remain unnamed. I found out this week that there's a tag on Instagram. Uh-huh. The other luthier. Yeah, what does that mean? It means somebody else botched this guitar. Oh. I thought that, that cracked me up. So if you if you search the, what's the pound sign? 
What does that mean? Hashtag. Hashtag uh, the other luthier. God. What? Well, that's what it's called. What year is it? It's called the it's How the old pound are you? Sign. Okay. It is. Yeah. That's. Yeah. No, you're absolutely. Actually, it's called the uh, Octothorpe. Anyway, I have two more questions. What the hell? <laughs> Number one. On the harmony, my incompetence has created some damage to the finish when steaming out the remains of the old dovetail. I have fine sanded out the white blotches, but I'm left with an area with the, where the finish is not glossy like the rest. It's subtle, but there is is there something I could do to blend the area back into the rest? Yeah, let's take these one at a time. Okay, go ahead. Uh, get some polishing compound. That's what I would do. The stuff I use, I think Stuart McDonald quit selling it, but they had three different grades. They had a brown and a ivory color and then a white color, you know, uh, coarse, medium, and fine oh, polish. Okay. And uh, that's what I would do. I would use some polishing compound and polish that out. I don't know if they sell that anymore. You can, you know, here's the other thing. You can just go down to the... Uh, the auto parts store mm-hmm. and get some some finish polish there, right? To polish that out. That's what I would do. There you go. Uh, number two, I have purchased another project guitar, which has a lovely mother of toilet seat fretboard. Ah. There is a fair bit of work left to do, but it looks like a refret is likely. The frets are incredibly low and the neck is by no means perfectly straight. Do you have any tips for dealing with that type of fretboard on a refret? Clearly, I can't deal with the chip out with ebony dust and super glue, and planing the neck flat is presumably out of the question. Yeah. That's from Simon. Simon, those... I've... I've messed with a couple of those with the mother of toilet seat fretboard. And uh, it's just a thin layer of, you know, some kind of a plastic. Yeah, toilet seat plastic. Yeah, over a wood that probably shouldn't be used as a fingerboard. In in my experience, that's what I've found. It's like pear wood or something. And it's so brittle, man. I mean, it's... the The last time I did one of those it was on a a maybell i think it was made by regal mm-hmm. like a, a really nice little chicago made um parlor, parlor guitar. guitar yeah but mother of toilet seat fingerboard tiny tiny frets just like you're describing bent neck you know i opted to just remove the fingerboard and put a real fingerboard on it and you hate to do that because you you lose the look which is cool but it's not really serviceable. It, it's not really like what are you going to do with that with that stuff because you you got to have the neck needs to be straight. <laughs> Refretting that brittle dried out, you know, 80-year-old pear wood or whatever it is is uh is not really a very good option. That's what I did. That's what I did with mine. Took the fingerboard off and put a nice, you know, you can use ebony or rosewood or whatever you want to use, but put a real fingerboard on there. I know it kills the look, but it's probably the right thing to do. Wow. Yeah. You heard it here. Thanks, Simon. Should we take a break? Absolutely. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Liz here from Emerald City Guitars, located in the heart of historic Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle, Washington. We are one of the world's premier vintage guitar shops, going strong for over 22 years. Specializing in the most rare, the funkiest, and most collectible vintage and pre-owned electric guitars, acoustic guitars, amplifiers, and more. We cater to anyone and everyone, from the guy next door to collectors and famous rock stars. Not only do we pay top dollar for used gear, we also offer trade-ins and consignment. We also have in-house repair and offer free appraisals. We have a variety of social media accounts that we post our goods daily. Find us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at ECGuitars. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and see our daily episodes of the featured Guitar Pick of the Day and Reality of Emerald City Guitars shows. Give us a call to chat in person at 206-382-0231 and visit our online store at www.emeraldcityguitars.com. subject of advertising we should mention uh blackguardlogs.com oh yeah so one of our listeners uh started this website and it's basically a crowdsourced fender early fender uh yeah it's a log of of any fender blackguard so a, a broadcaster a no caster a telecaster or an esquire Right. Uh, from the beginning up until 1954. So uh, what he's hoping to do is is log all of the serial numbers, which makes it... Uh, it's a nice resource to have because we don't have records of those guitars. Fender right. didn't really keep the records that would be nice if we had those records, right? Mm-hmm. But it also helps fight fraud. You know, fake Fenders are really... a a problem. Right. And uh, if we can catalog all the real ones, then yeah, it won't be a problem anymore. Yeah. And presumably, like, stuff that's been parted out, like a, a guitar, a vintage guitar with a replaced bridge, maybe that bridge could be reunited with its... Uh, I suppose. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so, yeah, blackguardlogs.com. And Rich and I have teamed up. Uh, I'm giving him a guitar strap to give away. So any June submission to his website, blackguardlogs.com, will be entered into a giveaway to win one of my uh, broadcaster straps. Very cool. And the first 1,000 submissions are also being entered to uh, win a Blackguard book. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. that book. That's so, that's so great, cool. man. Uh, should we read some more questions? Yes, please. Hello, Melissa and Eric. I'm a listener from Singapore, and I've been trying, and I have been enjoying your podcast tremendously. The chemistry between you two makes it so much more fun to listen to. Thank you. Thank you so much for putting the time and effort to share your knowledge with us all. I'm looking to replace the P90 pickups on my Epiphone Casino Coupe and have found out that Epiphone uses unusual pole spacing and height, particularly for the neck pickup. So my question is this. Do the strings have to be perfectly in line with the pole pieces? Why or why not? Looking forward to your next episode. Jepeth? Japeth? 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 Sorry. Thank you. I'm bad at names. From All the way from Singapore. How about yeah, that? that's pretty cool. Yeah, the string spacing and the pole piece spacing, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't need to line up perfectly. It's more like a proximal thing, right? So as long as each pole piece is 
close to a string, it's going to sound fine. If it gets if it gets way too out of line, then you're going to have quiet strings. But I've I've never seen one that that happens on. It's really it's just more of a proximity thing. It might bug you to look at it when you when you look and you see that the strings are missing the pole pieces just barely. It's more it's more going to bug you than do anything yeah. that affects the sound. Yeah. Yep. Thanks for the question. Hey, Melissa and Eric. Thanks for tolerating my dissertation last time on potentiometers. Oh, yeah. Very... Thanks for tolerating my dissertations. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it was very helpful. Oh, have you heard the show? Yeah. I'll try to keep it short this time. In 80-plus episodes and lots of discussions about all the things that might or might not contribute to so-called tone, pickups, pickup height, wood, pot values, amp, player's hands, etc., I don't think you've ever touched on the thing I am most recently fascinated with for its contribution to tone, for those who use one, the humble plectrum. For years, I used medium celluloid picks, Fender or whatever was cheap, and never thought twice about it, but lately I've been experimenting with heavier picks and different pick materials with acoustic and electric guitars, and I'm amazed at the difference it makes both in my sound and my playing. Uh, interested in any thoughts and opinions on picks. What do you use, Eric? Or are you a fingerstyle guy? Hybrid thumb picks? Melissa, any tonal or aesthetic opinions on guitar picks? No. <laughs> uh, I've been messing with the grippy side of the Herdim her- her- picks. Blue ones, one millimeter, I think. It's supposedly the secret ingredient to the edges tone. Yeah, that and a lot of delay. Yeah. With gratitude, Brannon from the cornfields of Indiana. Thanks, Brannon. Hey, he just ordered a pack of stickers. Thanks, Brannon. Nice job, Brannon. I saw that just before we started the podcast. Rad. Yeah. P.S. As a Jack White fan, I need a little more time to collect myself after the last episode before I address this topic. (laughs) Just kidding. Y'all evoked lots of laughs, especially Melissa's reticent groans. (laughs) Oh, no. In the meantime, you might be interested to know that Jack has been of late playing Ernie Ball Music Man, Eddie Van Halen, and St. Vincent Signature Model Guitars. Not really. I think he saw the light on crappy pawn shop guitars that fight back. (laughs) Or else he's just being weird and ironic. Who can say, really? Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's the original hipster. Jack White? Maybe not the original. Uh, I thought it was Dobie Gillis' friend. Maynard G. Krebs. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Picks, man, I tell you what, I'm with you on picks. I think we ta- I think I, we did talk about this a little bit in the interview episode with Henry Cooper. Huh. Uh, I use picks and I use my fingers. I go back and forth, you know, um, it just depends on the sound I want to get and the whatever I'm playing at the time. But yeah, I use picks probably about 80% of the time when I'm at a gig. Yeah. Maybe half the time. I don't I don't know. I don't really think about it as much as I just do it. He but, always has a he has a pick in his mouth and he grabs it and plays and then puts really? it back in his mouth. I thought that I palmed it. Well, you do that too, but sometimes you need all your fingers and you put it in your mouth. Oh, that's true. So, uh, but I really like Herco picks. They have kind of a grippy side. They have like a, 
it's like little dots, you know, little mm-hmm. grips. Uh-huh. And if you flip that thing around and pick with that grippy side, it gives you this great, like, chewy tone. Cool. Especially if you have an out-of-phase setting on your guitar, and then you flip that pick around and use the grippy side. Man, it's just a crazy tone. I love it. I love it so much. And it cuts through a mix. And I tell you what, you throw that on some people you're jamming with that you that you don't really jam with very often, and they'll all look at you like, what just... What did you just do to your guitar? And I love it because people will go, people start looking for what pedal you have. <laughs> and I don't have, I don't use, I haven't used pedals since, I don't, I don't know how long, since the 1900s. Uh, and if you, um, y- you can get so many different sounds just with the way you pick and with out of phase settings and with different pickup settings and with different things that it's, that's fun. Yeah. So I'm with you. I am totally with you, Brandon. Picks. Cool. Absolutely. Uh, there is a great book about picks and about the history of picks and all about, I mean, pictures of, like, really cool pictures of rare picks and cool stuff that I have somewhere. And I want so badly to interview the author. He lives in Hawaii now. Uh, I need to find that book again and look that guy up. Yeah, I, he sounds like a nerd. Well, you'd have to be to write well, that. Book. Perfect for this podcast, yeah. then. <laughs> um, but it's one of those little like mini books, you know, like it's like a six inch by six inch, you know. Yeah, I know exactly the book. one you're talking about. Eric also has a giant jar of just vintage picks that he's collected over the year. Yeah, I do. I've got some cool picks in there. I said year, but I meant years. And not just this one year. Yeah, I know. Okay. Have, there's a Hendrix pick in there. Did you know that? What? No. Yeah, yeah it's true. That's cool. Yeah. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I saw on Instagram Eric is using a boroscope for internal acoustic guitar work. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if he has a recommendation for a boroscope, and if you don't mind telling us what kind you are using. Thanks, from Ted from Michigan. Thanks, Ted. Yeah. Yeah, that Gibson L-O that I'm working on, I, it's so hard to work blind in an inside an acoustic guitar sometimes. You can't see what you're doing because your arm is inside the sound hole so that that's the only place you can look in, right? So yeah. stick your boroscope in there and all of a sudden you can look at a screen and see what you're doing. It's great. It's awesome. It is awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm using, it's just a cheap USB boroscope that I bought off Amazon. I think it was around, somewhere around 20 bucks. Wow. Yeah, and it just plugs right into, uh, what's that thing you bought me? A tablet? It's a tablet. It plugs right into that tablet. <laughs> what is wrong with well, I wanted to call it a Kindle, but I didn't, I knew it wasn't a Kindle. It's a Samsung Galaxy thing. It's a tablet. It's a tablet. Yeah, also known as a boroscope screen. That's the, that's what you use it for? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Ted. Yeah, I highly recommend one. I mean, for how cheap they are, my God. Yeah, that's super useful. And I probably it probably plugs into an iPhone, too, I would imagine. Yeah, I would yeah. assume. 
Hey, Eric and Mel, I've been getting into oddball pickups lately. The more obscure, the better. I was wondering if Eric has ever rewound or worked on a guitar with the thin twin pickups in the K. Jimmy Reed guitars. Yeah. They look so cool, and it seems like they are way bigger than what you see on top of the guitar. Yep. Can Eric tell us anything about them? What magnets do they use? How were they made? Yeah. I don't know for sure what grade of Alnico, but it's just an Alnico magnet. It is probably an Alnico 5. And yeah, you look at the guitar, that's the K-Thin Twin, also known as the Jimmy Reed model. But yeah, the K-Thin Twin. What a cool guitar. Uh, They look like little Dan Electro lipstick tubes, but they're not. Underneath that pickguard is this giant pickup. And what's coming through the pickguard is just a little... Wow. Like slice of the pickup. Cool. Yeah. Um, a lot more like a P90 in construction, or maybe even, I guess you could say, more like a Charlie Christian pickup. The ones I've seen have a really early, crude, rudimentary, like, paper. It's like, basically cardboard, uh, bobbin. Um, so they're really fragile, you know, like a cardboard bobbin with a big magnet coming through the middle. Uh, a lot like an early, what's the Gibson pickup that Harmony used for a while? The P13. It's a little bit like a P13. Except instead of individual pole pieces that pass through a magnet, magnets on the bottom, it is a uh, uh, a magnet that actually passes through the coil, and then that little weird lipstick tube cover kind of slips over the magnet there. Yeah. I've never rewound one. I never had to, but I've seen I've seen enough of them. I know kind of what they what they are, what they look like, what they do. They're 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 like a crude early P90. I don't know if K made those. I assume they did. Or if they were made for K by, you know, Gibson or DeArmond or somebody. I don't know. I don't know. If anybody knows about those, please write into the podcast and tell us everything you can. I would love it. That does it for this episode of the Fret Files podcast. We really appreciate you listening and participating in the show. If you want to participate, and you should, you can go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click on the contact link submit your question or comment there we'll use it as part of the show the other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482 and uh, we'll use your question or comment as part of the show thanks for listening we'll talk to you next time good night